It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke. A fun draft deadline primer. The impact of the moves. A look at the end at Anthony Davis and what's going on there. But we'll start looking at the Eastern Conference. What moves can be made that change the meter? Then the Western Conference. And we do it with ESPN insider Kevin Pelt. It's all coming up next on Locked on NBA. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Well, a Locked On NBA from Portland with the great ESPNs. Kevin Pelton has been working feverishly hard on various trade stories, mostly Anthony Davis, Laker related, and other things. Let me go big picture. We this airs. We are seven days away from the trade deadline. What players? that could be moved between now and the trade deadline will have a significant standing impact. In other words, and let me define that for you. So the Warriors are going to win the West probably regardless of any trade that is made. The East, maybe the winner of the East could, let's start there. Could the winner of the East be impacted by the trade deadline? I think it could. I don't think it will be. Uh, Philly seems like the only team that's really likely to make a sizable trade before the deadline of, you know, the the top contenders in the East, and and I still don't think that would be enough to push them over the top. You don't think Milwaukee, who's been talked about with Anthony Davis, talked about with Mike Conley, I don't think they've been talked about with Marcus Sol, but maybe. You don't think Milwaukee pulls that trigger? They've already got their stretch five in Brook Lopez, so they're, they're set there. Uh, I don't see them making a substantive, substantive move at the deadline. I mean, they did get George Hill earlier in the season. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if that happened. Toronto, they've already gone all in for Kawhi. Do they need to make that next move to prove something to Kawhi? Or is that irrelevant? I mean, I think one of the challenges you run into with the Raptors in particular, and I think this is probably also true of the Bucks to a slightly lesser extent, and then the, the third team we'll get to in a second, I think it's definitely true with them. The deeper your roster is, the harder it's going to be to improve during the season. So the Sixers have the most avenue for you know improvement with a deal right now or signing players uh, who are bought out after the trade deadline, which is another possibility certainly for them because of the fact that they have such a top-heavy roster after the Jimmy Butler trade with these three stars and then a number of glaring holes in their rotation. All right, so let's go to Philly. What do you think they do? I, I don't know exactly what it is they do. I mean, we did the uh, the dunked on mock off season earlier this week, and they let me plug that fully. Nate Duncan, Dan Feldman, Danny Larue, Kevin Pelton on Dunked On Basketball podcast uh, did the mock trade deadline. It's really good. Two day listen, worthwhile. When you're done with all your Locked On podcasts, feel free to go check that out. <laughs> all, all 30 teams in the NBA? Yeah, whatever you feel <laughs> is necessary for you in the day. Maybe uh, some NFL things. Like yeah. <laughs> the Super Bowl is coming up. Uh, I So the deal they made, ended up making in that mock-off season was with Atlanta, and that was centered around Torian Prince, who we'll see if he ends up moving. But they also got Dwayne Dedman and Jeremy Lin. So they were able to like add three rotation players in one fell swoop. And I don't know if that would necessarily be a thing they would do or you know even a thing they would do in a single trade as opposed to multiple trades. But again, that's the kind of like adding multiple pieces that they could stand to do before the deadline. All right, and their situation is they still kind of— they're, they're missing Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, 
Alex Mario Bellinelli, uh, Ursan Ilyasova, and so they could fill those gaps in your mind, and that would be a, make them a significant different team of the top four Eastern Conference teams in the playoffs. It would make a substantial difference, yeah. I mean, they, they're missing that shooting that they had last year with Bellinelli playing out of his mind after the the uh, he was claimed he was uh, signed after a buyout, and Ilyasova gave them really good minutes, and then yeah, Covington and Charge obviously huge parts of the team. So you lose those four players and replace them with just Jimmy Butler and Wilson Chandler, your depth is not going to be the same. That's really interesting. So of the trade deadline, our first question was, could it impact the Eastern Conference finalist into the NBA finals or the Eastern Conference? And your feeling is that Philadelphia is the one of those four teams, Indiana, redeeming out of it because of Victor Oladipo's tragic injury. Uh, you're, the, Philadelphia is the one team you think could be dramatically different in seven days. Yeah, I mean, look, there's always a chance that one of those teams could surprise me with a move, but I, I don't I don't expect it at this point. The real question gets to be, does the fear of Philadelphia doing that propel Milwaukee or Toronto or someone else to make a move? I mean, I guess, again, the question is, what is that move? Like, is Toronto going to call on Anthony Davis? Like, of course they're going to call on Anthony Davis. That's, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, short of that, I'm not sure who that is. I mean, Conley for Milwaukee is interesting. I mentioned them in uh, the piece I wrote right after uh, Woj reported that Conley and Gasol were on the block. But it, it'd be a, a very aggressive move because you'd, you'd probably be trading your starting point guard for a new starting point guard midseason in a situation where you have either the best or very narrowly the second best record in the Eastern Conference. There's not a lot of precedent for that. You, it's interesting. You mentioned the George Hill deal. Kyle Korver got traded for Alec Burke, so those deals have already happened. Happened. And and I feel like Corver is the guy who like could have helped swing some things in the East because there's so many teams that could have benefited from Kyle Corver. I mean, really, you look up and down the, the list of contenders and it's like, which team wouldn't have benefited from Kyle Corver? He might be swinging things in the West. He, he sure could be. The What's interesting about those deals to me are the Jazz have already had 22 games of Kyle Corver. George Hill's already been on Milwaukee for a while. You make this trade deadline deal. You get the player for two games. We then go to all-star break, take mandatory seven or eight days off, and you close the year with about 26, 27, 28 games where you're trying to figure out how to use, and not a lot of practice time, a new player. Yeah, I mean, Toronto has already played 52 games this is at the time we're recording this. That's 30 left the rest of the season. And so if they made that trade tomorrow, they're getting 30 games. And, you know, even it, it is hard to swing a team's record by even a win over that period of time. That's a, that's a pretty substantial upgrade. In that regard, just statistically, maybe not Anthony Davis included in this conversation, but the Mike Conleys, the Otto Porters, the... Marcus Souls, the who else are being talked about that's a high quality any of the guys we've mentioned. How many wins over eighty two games does one player move like that matter? So I mean uh well, let's start with the kind of the wins above replacement con player concept that I use in my metric. Uh, comparing how many more wins, hypothetically, a player produces is compared to a player you'd sign for the minimum or out of the G League. That's the replacement level player. So an all-star is typically around 10 wins over the course of the season by that metric. That's that's usually the threshold for getting into all-star consideration. So you take 30 games out of out of 82. Okay, now we're talking about you know three to four wins. And that's, again, as compared to a replacement level player. If you're Philly, that might be what you're doing. 
because of the fact that you've got, you know, rookie Jonah Bolden, rookie Furkan Korkmaz playing those minutes right now. If you're, you know, another team making that move, you're probably starting from a higher place in terms of the minutes you're replacing, and that's where it gets harder to get more than a win or two. This is when Paul Gasol went from the Lakers to the from the Memphis to the Lakers and replaced Kwame Brown, who was a replacement level player. You should just call it Kwame Brown level player, not replacement level player, um, in honor of Michael Jordan. But the so most of these teams, so like if Mike Conley swapped with Eric Bledsoe. I mean, so far this year, they've they've rated almost the same, which is why, you know, again, that would be such a huge gamble. I mean, Bledsoe's right there in the mix as an all-star in the Eastern Conference, as as Conley surely would be if he were in the East. Uh, I think you'd only be making that move because of the fact that you think that, you know, Bledsoe struggled last year in the crucible of the playoffs. Conley, an experienced playoff veteran, more effective in that setting at the highest levels. And that's maybe the other question we should be asking here. You said the standings. But there may be a difference between what makes a difference in the standings and what could swing a close playoff series. And, and I think that's pro- all right. So I think that is a better question. Let's readdress that question before we move to the Western Conference coming up. Is there a move that changes who plays in the Eastern Conference finals, who plays in the NBA finals in the, from the Eastern Conference? We, we, the second round of the Eastern Conference, we could start tomorrow. We know the four teams. No offense, Indiana, but at this stage, we we know the four teams. So who ends up playing in the Eastern Conference Finals or who represents the junior varsity in the finals? Is that going to be different? Is there a chance that is different because of the trade deadline? There's a chance, but I would still bet against it. I mean, I mean, I think that, you know, there's that Milwaukee, Toronto, and even Boston, which is behind them in the standings, but substantially better in terms of point differential, the second-best point differential in the East for the Celtics, and uh, third-best in the league overall, just behind Milwaukee and Golden State. Um, I, I think those three teams are better enough than Philly that I don't think even with the upgrades that the Sixers would be favored over any of those teams in the playoffs. But then, you know, you get into a seven-game series and somebody gets hot, it is possible that that could swing in. All right, we'll look at the West and what could be swung when we continue. Maybe touch on DeMarcus Cousins, the acquisition the Warriors have made heading into this deadline. That's basically what they set up in the offseason. When we continue on Locked On NBA, make sure you subscribe to the Twitter feed, Locked On NBA Net, to get all 30 Locked On local experts on one NBA feed. What has been your quick reaction to DeMarcus Cousins on the Warriors? It, it has been everything they hoped in terms of there was a lot of talk when they signed him over the summer of, you know, this is a team that didn't have a lot of reason to be excited about the regular season last year. It was a slog. I mean, you and, and Jazz fans saw that, I think, up close at the end of last year's regular season where they looked disinterested and lifeless uh, and then you know managed to recover some of that in, in time for the playoffs and to win another championship. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins gives them a reason to be excited. His integration, figuring out how he's going to fit, and just he's like a new toy for them to play with. We saw this when, when JaVale and McGee first got there and everybody was like competing to throw him alley-oop lobs because that wasn't a skill set they had on their roster before. Well, Cousins brings all these skills that they haven't had in a center. Uh, to the extent that they have had them in this era, it hasn't been since Maurice Spates that they've really had you know, a true seven-footer, like not playing Draymond at center, who can shoot threes, who can handle the ball, who's a, a capable playmaker from the high post. 
Uh, I mean, they've had some of those skills, obviously, the playmaking from the high post they got from Zaza and Andrew Vogt before him. But all of those things wrapped together into one player. I mean, you, you see why it was so amazing that they were able to get it. All right. Who is the current second best team in the Western Conference? Is, and is that without doubt that you state that, that someone has separated themselves? Or do you think that there's really still a hodgepodge of eight or nine teams in that? I don't think there's eight or nine teams. I think there are three teams. Uh, if you force me to pick one today, I would pick Denver now that they're, you know, I mean, Jamal Murray's missed a couple games here, but they're back at relatively full strength. They've got Will Barton back in the lineup. We'll see what happens when Isaiah Thomas plays, uh, whether there's a spot for him in the rotation with Monte Morris playing as well as he has as a backup point guard. Because the Monte Morris Mason Plumley pick and roll is like the second best pick and roll in the entire NBA right now. <laughs> well, imagine telling someone that before the season. Uh, even as a Monte Morris diehard, I would not have seen that coming, i got to admit. So I, I would take What's Den- more stunning, the Morris part or the Plumlee part? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I, I would take them today. I mean, I think it's, it's Denver, Oklahoma City, and Utah are the three teams that are right there in the mix. Not the Rockets. I, I just don't think their ceiling is there while they're depending this much on James Harden. And, you know, I think the one question that needs to be asked, I think Harden is unquestionably at this point the MVP. Uh, I don't think anyone can challenge him for my vote unless he misses some time due to injury. Uh, but he's had a tough time maintaining this into the playoffs, and that's in seasons, including last year, where he wasn't maintaining the kind of load that he's been carrying uh, over the last month here, which, by the way, I remember the last time we recorded this podcast in uh, possibly the same hotel room, Chris Paul had just gone down with that that injury. I and, thought they were done. Yeah, uh, I think I preached patience there. I don't think I expected that they Your were going to be better. Is so boring. <laughs> well, sometimes uh, accuracy is boring too. Um, that was a that was a Pelton dagger right there. <laughs> Yeah, the gleeful look on his face right now is disgusting. Look, I got to take these opportunities when I when I have them. But no one expected that James Harden all of a sudden was going to average forty points over the next month and go on this streak that really doesn't have much precedent in NBA and history. And that's what it took. Yeah, and that was what it took for them to stay afloat. I mean, they're still, you know, they're fifth in the standings, but uh, only a half game ahead of seventh. I mean, the the fifth through seventh is really, by the time we record this might be, or by the time this gets, gets released, it might be different. So, you know, I I mean, obviously they, all, they also haven't had Clint Capella for part of that stretch. And maybe if Chris Paul gets healthy, my opinion changes. But right now I think they're too dependent on James Harden to be successful at the highest levels of playoff competition. You know my Chris... Paul take, right? Uh, that he's finished? Well, just the, the guys he was drafted next to, Darren Williams and Raymond Felton, are not having a big impact on the season. So the idea that Chris Paul would be um, significantly less than what he was in the past does not seem stunning to me. It's not stunning. I, I still think he's going to shoot better. I mean, this is the debate we had again that last time over the fact that, you know, his shot selection, his shot quality, if you look at the second spectrum metrics, was very similar to what it had been last season uh, and better than what it had been with the Clippers when he didn't get as high shot quality. And it was just the shot making that was different. We haven't really had enough time with him back from the injury to judge whether, you know, that's going to going to change or not. Okay, you have dismissed Portland and San Antonio. We'll let you get away with that, but I just want to let the fans of the Blazers and the Spurs know that I'm representing you right now and acknowledging that fact. What moves could be made in this trade deadline 
that would alter the composition of spots two through nine, 10, 11, whatever in the Western Conference? I, I don't know that a lot of these teams are going to be particularly active. I mean, Portland's an interesting one because there's been talk that they might be willing to trade this year's first-round pick. There's, there's certainly an urgency to be successful. Uh, their point differential, especially once you account for the schedule they've played, uh, hasn't quite matched up to their record so far, which puts them fourth in the West as we record this. Uh, they've played uh, 28 of their 51 games at home. It'll be 29 of 52 after tonight. February is going to be really heavy on road games for Portland. So that's going to be, I think, very telling of who they are. So that's a team that maybe... And they, until their win in Utah, I think, had lost nine of their last 12 on the road. Yeah, so maybe they could jump into that mix if they play if they do something aggressive at the deadline. Um, I, I maybe one of those teams in the second through fourth the, in the race for second separates themselves. It, it seems like Utah maybe has the most opportunity given the expiring contracts they have uh, and the fact that you know they're not like Oklahoma City over the luxury tax or in Denver's case reasonably close to it. Denver could still do some things. They have a little bit of flexibility, but I think Denver also suffers from the same issue of like they have this extraordinarily deep roster. How much are you going to incrementally upgrade in a trade? Tony Jones of the Athletic referenced that Utah has. I couldn't. He, I'm not quite sure how he phrased it, but he mentioned Mike Conley and Otto Porter as. I don't know. Again, I don't know how he phrased it exactly. Whether it was just players that they were interested in, players they've talked about, how it was. It was. It was. It was uniquely worded. If they were to get those two players. Um, one of one of those players, right? How much does it change if you're saying you 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 just said Utah's the team that has the biggest chance to change it? I'm assuming it's based on something of that nature. How big a difference is that? Yeah, or, or maybe you know we'll see Nikola Mirotic now that he's probably available with uh, Anthony Davis's trade request. I mean, again, I don't know that that's a swing of more than a couple wins over the rest of the season. Uh, and it depends, you know, what the, the return packages look like for those players. But I think both of them make a lot of sense for Utah in the short term, without question. Uh, Porter fits what they try to do offensively. I think he's someone who's been very underrated in Washington because of the fact that he's not a volume scorer. So, you know, the fact that he's a, a solid defender, a good shooter, an efficient scorer, tends to be somewhat undervalued. Conley, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. I, I think he would be, uh, you know, a substantial upgrade at point guard. And, uh, yeah, I think those are the kind of moves that could potentially push Utah to the head of the pack to, is the t- of the teams chasing, uh, chasing the Warriors. Is, Oklahoma City seems to have actually gotten a little bit better as the year's gone on. They've won some really big games recently. Is there something they can do? Potentially upgrade shooting. Um, I, you know, Wayne Ellington from Miami would be an interesting fit for them. I think they'd probably have to send back some salary in return, which, uh, you know, to, to prevent their tax bill from skyrocketing too much. I was looking at this this morning. It's over $30 million they'd add to their tax bill alone if they just used their trade exception from the Carmelo trade to add Wayne Ellington. Now, conversely, Miami, if they trade Wayne Ellington, is probably looking to get out of the tax uh, which they would probably need to to move both him and Rodney Magruder, which is something I did actually at Denver in the uh, the mock off season is the Heat. Um, so maybe they don't want to take that salary back, but you know there's something in that range. Uh, there are some shooters still out there, and that's you know obviously always been Oklahoma City's biggest weakness. I think this is what's interesting when you look at the Eastern the Western Conference groupings. There's flaws on all those teams, and so Oklahoma City doesn't have enough shooting. If you 
like you tell me Oklahoma City grabs Wayne Ellington to my initial reaction is like wow that is that is a western conference standing game changer cuz that's addressing a significant weakness if you believe you know that the Jazz inability to stretch the floor is a weakness and they get Otto Porter or you believe Ricky Rubio's we can depend your opinion on those things those seem to me to be you know if Portland added a wing player that could actually dribble or pass that would make that would to me jump up and and do something how dare you disrespect Jake Lehman like that oh I actually was thinking of never mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean like so I mean all right so let's go to that if Ellington goes to OKC ignore the tax but I think that's a great point on your part (laughs) but to this trying to understand the value of these moves with 30 games to play does that make them the Western Conference finalists uh favorite to play the Warriors it depends on the other moves that get get made. I mean, I think that, again, Utah has more room for incremental improvement than Oklahoma City does. And the one question, we haven't seen a lot of Wayne Ellington deep into the playoffs. He's not a great defender. He might get picked on a little bit there. Not as much probably as Alex Abrines, who's in that spot for them now. But, you know, that is, that is the, uh, the other aspect of this is how many two-way players who can really be effective in the playoffs are going to change teams. Um, you know, the guys, Conley certainly fits into that criteria. I think Otto Porter does as well. Uh, some other players who might, Garrett Temple from Memphis. He's obviously at a lower level, but a, a nice complimentary piece, I think, on a good team. Um, Justin Holiday, who was having a really terrific season in Chicago before he got traded to Memphis. I don't think the Grizzlies would get as much for him as they gave up, but he's another player who can make, you know, that kind of a difference on a playoff team. So those are the names I'm kind of looking at. So when you mention... Conley, Porter, Ellington, Miritich, Temple. How many of them, in your mind, win a playoff series for someone? Depends on the team, but I, I think that like only the Conley, Porter, Miritich level would I be expecting that. The other guys, it, it would just have to be situational. He's Kevin Pelton, and we haven't discussed Anthony Davis and what actually happened this week yet. But we're gonna. I want to take a different angle on it when we return on Locked On NBA. Make sure you grab Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd every day. Great recap of the games as well, plus the fantasy angle on things. That's Locked On Fantasy Basketball, and you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Fantasy Basketball. I want to back up to the very beginning of the Anthony Davis announcement through Woj at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern time or whatever it was, because I think... That's the one part of this that has not been discussed enough. We all jumped into, are they making a deal now? Will they wait till the offseason? What about the Celtics? Why did they announce that then? I mean, that's a, it's a great question because, you know, the subsequent reporting from Woj, Brian Windhorst at ESPN, others has indicated, like, the, the trade request is not, it has to be now before the trade deadline. It's, you know, okay, we're okay waiting until the end of the season, you know, and, and into the offseason to make this move. So, yeah, I I mean, I'm not sure what it is exactly, except to just kind of start this process and not kind of catch the Pelicans off guard. I mean, maybe it's, you know, on some level fairness to the Pelicans, but... Did the Pelicans ask? There's not been any reporting that they did. Okay, so then they chose this time for some reason. They chose this time 10 days, 12 days before the trade deadline in a time frame in which Boston cannot make a move. I mean, I think the fact that Boston can't make a move now is overrated because that doesn't prevent them from talking trade with the uh, the Pelicans. Now, 
what the Pelicans still have to weigh is like, what's the uncertainty? Is can we count on that offer being there come this summer? Or you know, if Kyrie Irving goes elsewhere, does suddenly that package dry up and now we're left without this kind of leverage that we were expecting? Some people I've listened to in various podcasts basically believe it's a conspiracy that this is all orchestrated by Rich Paul and the Lakers to make sure that Anthony Davis goes to the Lakers and so do it now while the Celtics don't have a chance. I I understand that thinking. I mean, I, I, for that reason, I don't think it's necessarily an effective move. Uh, the other interesting aspect of this, of course, is that, you know, from the Lakers standpoint, the most ideal scenario for them is not to trade for Anthony Davis. Now it is to trade for Anthony Davis on July 7th after you have already used your cap space to sign a max free agent. Explain that. So because of the fact that, you know, there's the salary matching rules, you can take on more in a trade than you send out. The Lakers, you know, almost certainly will be sending out less salary and certainly will be sending out less salary in 2019-20 than they take back in Anthony Davis. So if they do that now, that additional salary they add is compared to the young players they'd be trading in return is going to come out of their salary cap space. But if they use that cap space first and then trade the young players, and it'd have to probably be a slightly larger package of them to match Davis's salary at that point because you couldn't include a Contavious Caldwell-Pope or a Lance Stevenson or even a Rajon Rondo as expiring contracts to help make up that difference. But still, there would be a way to put together that trade after you've signed a max free agent. If you were the Boston Celtics, and let me have you play Tony Romo to the Boston Celtics. They are most likely to have Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis on their roster next year. They are most likely to have Kyrie Irving, no Anthony Davis on their roster next year. They are most likely to have neither Kyrie Irving or Anthony Davis on their roster next year. That's a good question. I mean, I think the Anthony Davis, no Kyrie Irving scenario is we can probably rule out because if Kyrie isn't committed, then at that point it no longer makes sense for you to trade what it's going to take to get Anthony Davis. The reason you trade for a Anthony Davis is because you think him and Kyrie Irving together are going to, you know, that Kyrie Irving is going to be the incentive for him to resign and that together they're going to lead you to contention, not Davis alone. Um, so then you're basically just premising this decision on, you know, is Kyrie going to resign or not? I guess I, there's still the the both option, uh, but but Kyrie whether he's going to resign or not swings it. And I mean, just like everybody else, I'm kind of reading the tea leaves of what we're hearing from people in the league and and uh, you know seeing from Kyrie Kyrie's post game press conferences and LeBron's Instagram. I mean that's that's uh, that's all we got to go on at there this are point, these right? Mammoth stories that are just floating around the Kyrie Irving leaving Boston, the Luke Walton on the verge being fired in L.A., the Anthony Davis, to a, there was another one. Um, I mean, they're five, like, I don't know what the other ones are. Like, there's just a bunch of these, like, stories that are being kind of thrown out there, and 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 they're mammoth. Yeah, it's kind of the, the evolution of, I think, one of the interesting trends in NBA coverage is, you know— it's no longer like sources close to the player or sources close to the team in question. It's league executives believe that something is going to happen. And this is kind of the, the accelerated version of that. But to your point, we've almost become kind of inured to it because it's just one story after another in the NBA. It's almost like it's scripted. 
You think it is? Yeah, no, I don't think. I don't know who's script there. I don't know. But, it's like Ringling Brothers Circus. But they're, but they're really good at it if they do. I mean, they should be like writing network television or well, because, prestige TV. And is it just because we live in the Twitterverse of the NBA or a Super Bowl week being dominated by Anthony Davis? And no, it, it definitely seems like that. And it, it's the other trend, it's an acceleration of, or the end point of, is, you know, the the obsession on future transactions over what's actually happening in the league right now. Like, their game's being played, and no, we're all no, we're talking no. about. Like, I can look, tell you the Lockdown Podcast number no, numbers right now. I can, I can, I can sure your click numbers say it. Like, it's, it's not a, there's no question about that. I mean, it's been outstanding for me. I can't complain about <laughs> it. So we're we'll both talking about how great it is. Trades, trades, more <laughs> trades, more breaking news on the Locked On Podcast Network. Catch it all. Anytime anything happens, go to your local expert. Um, also, make sure you get Kevin Pelton's breaking stories on ESPN or ESPN+. Plus. See ya.